Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. As we go through the Gospel of Mark, uh, we want to pick up the narrative in verse 23, uh, continue through into chapter 3, and also up to verse 6. We find here Jesus is facing off with the, the biblical experts of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. They uh, ended up being his avowed enemies. It's what happens, I think, when you're unteachable. We need to always be teachable, flexible, you know, allowing the Lord to speak into our life, or else we can just get hard. We can get hard, and, and these guys got hard even though they were the ones that had the Bible. They had the Bible. They uh, were the ones who were representing the Lord, and yet uh, we find that the Lord was in their midst and, and attempting to teach them, uh, but uh, they knew it all. They didn't, they didn't want to uh, learn anything new. And in verse 23, <clears throat> we're told that now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, uh, he and those with him, and how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger and being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the wonderful freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, there would be those who would try to load us down with all kinds of man-made rules and regulations. But we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, that you're able, you're able to instruct us and teach us, Lord, to give us insight on things that are, Lord, things that are of the man. We want to know the things that are of God. Lord, we want to understand those things that you call us to, those things that you require. And, Lord, we're, we're thankful that, Lord, uh, we're thankful for grace, that we don't have to, through our own efforts, 
through our own work, through all the things that we think we can do, Lord, to earn salvation, we realize we cannot. Lord, we're thankful that it is the gift of God. And how we pray, Father, as we consider these verses this morning, Lord, if there's uh, perhaps something that some person has laid upon us and you haven't, Lord, help us, we pray, to be able to discern that. And Lord, we want to do all that you want us to do. Lord, want to be pleasing to you. Want to, want to walk by faith. Want to walk, Lord, in obedience. Lord, in a place of trust. And Lord, uh, we know that when we do that, there's just a beautiful, beautiful liberty about it. A beautiful freedom. That we're not being forced, Lord, to do this, that, or the other thing. And all the while thinking that uh, in our doing it, Lord, uh, we're making ourselves more holy. Actually, Lord, we oftentimes making ourselves more miserable. So we thank you again for the liberty, for the freedom, for the, the glorious grace, uh, Lord, that we have. And so I pray, Father, as we consider these verses this morning, Lord, uh, we, we always need the Holy Spirit to shed light, Lord, uh, to give us insight. Lord, we want to glorify, we want to honor you, Lord, with lip and with life. Lord, uh, so we pray, Father, and I thank you for those that are here this morning. I I pray that, Lord, uh, you know our hearts, our lives. You know what we need to hear. And I pray that, Lord, um, you would underscore to each one of us, Lord, those things uh, that need, Lord, to, to resonate with our hearts and with our lives. For, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There was always a contention between Jesus and the religious leaders. And it was because that the Mosaic law had been so encumbered, uh, encumbered with all these do's and all these don'ts. And, and, uh, and these things were just unnecessary. Uh, these were things that perhaps the religious leadership were thinking uh, that if uh, they got people in the rhythm of doing these certain things that they would maybe be more righteous or more holy. Or even in some cases in religious circles, you think that you can earn grace or you can earn favor uh, by working hard at it. Uh, A lot of times we look at the cults. Uh, They're working very hard. They work a lot harder sometimes than uh, those who know the Lord. Uh, But the reason they're doing that is because they think they can earn God's favor. They can earn salvation. uh, They can earn certain, you know, uh, uh, you know, certain, uh, you know, blessings that would come, you know, into their life. And, you know, there is a blessing for obedience. There's no doubt about that. But what happens is the common man, the average person, gets so loaded down with all these rules and regulations that there isn't any joy anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, I think when that happens, uh, it, you know, it sets a wrong precedent. It gives people the wrong understanding. They can, they can think that somehow they can acquire righteousness or holiness or whatever the case may be. Now, Jesus came for the purpose uh, of setting us free, setting us free, free from sin, but also, too, the wrong philosophies of man. Uh, and there's a lot of religious philosophies that are out there that people buy into that seem to make sense. I, I think uh, uh, one of the big things that is sort of uh, um, trendy on the West Coast is Buddhism. And in Buddhism, you can kind of do whatever you, you know, you just sort of, it, it's, you know, you can have, kind of embrace everything. 
Uh, and, you know, people like that kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of man-made religion, you know, out there. But I think also, too, we need to be careful as God's people uh, that we're not, uh, that let leadership isn't, you know, laying a lot of, you know, heavy burdens and things, you know, on people. And I think that in today's uh, Christianity, we don't see it maybe so much as maybe we did a generation ago. But yet sometimes we can have our own philosophies that may not be right uh, that maybe just in a sense, uh, uh, you know, we may be thinking that if I just kind of, if I just kind of do these things, you know, I'll, you know, I'll be, you know, um, I'll be righteous, whatever the case may be. So I think here Jesus is purposely breaking the rules. He's breaking their rules, um, uh, in a sense to to get their attention. I think to teach them. Uh, here is you know the Lord of Glory. Uh, he's the, the greatest teacher that ever lived and uh, ever walked on earth. And so he's trying to teach them and instruct them regarding this. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously they profess to know the scriptures very well. Uh, I think probably in many respects they could quote chapter and verse, uh, even though there wasn't chapter and verse at that time. Uh, but they would, they would know certain, you know, it was certain scriptures in, in, in a sense to be able to memorize them. Now, as we come to verses 22, 23 and 24, 23 is a scenario, and 24 uh, is, there, is there a question to him? Uh, and it's an assumption and an accusation at the same time relative to, you know, why are you breaking the Sabbath law? Why are your disciples breaking the Sabbath law? And, and so verse 23 says, it gives us the, the, the backdrop there. It happened uh, that he, Jesus, uh, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they, uh, as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, look, uh, why do you do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? So again, the, the Mosaic law made provision for this. It wasn't the fact that they were stealing anything. That wasn't really the assumption or the accusation. Uh, it was just basically, you're breaking the Sabbath law. And the reason they you know, they, they uh, pretty much assumed that they were breaking the, the Sabbath law was that they were just simply taking their hand and just basically stripping the grains off of the stalk. Uh, they equated that with work. They equated that with labor. So in a sense, you couldn't even really pick something, pick a, pick a piece of fruit off a tree. Uh, they equated that with labor. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, to show you how crazy and convoluted sometimes these, these Sabbath laws could be, and there were just hundreds of them. There, there were just hundreds of these particular laws that you could spit on a rock. But if you spit in the dirt, uh, that made it different because then you were making mud. And that's how they made brick in those days. So I guess you were preparing if you spit in the, in the dirt, then you were, you, were, uh, uh, you were making mud and you were going to be a bricklayer, bricklayer or something like that. So uh, basically what they're saying here is these guys taking just some grains to eat uh, for themselves. And of course they could do that. The law provided for that as long as you don't put a sickle to it. Um, that this was harvesting crops. You know, this was working. And um, for them, the, the Sabbath was a really big issue. Uh, there were so many different things that took place. And even, I think, even today, there are so many different uh, man-made religious uh, laws that we need to be very careful of. I was looking on the website this week doing a little research and uh, looking at some of the stuff in the Talmud, uh, the, the, you know, the Jewish uh, commentaries and so forth, the Talmud, uh, the Mishnah and the Gemara. Um, and I was just amazed. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was almost confusing to see how certain things were interpreted uh, in the light of trying to uphold Sabbath law. 
And it was just, you know, such an incredible list. Uh, one author I was saying, uh, reading rather, he was saying there was over a thousand, you know, of these different uh, Sabbath day rules. But also, too, that's not only uh, within Judaism, but also, too, within Christianity. There can be all these different laws that have been fabricated, uh, placed to get put together uh, in, in all the, the religions outside of Christianity. Uh, there are regulations. I was thinking about uh, the Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, they, they will not allow blood transfusions um, or blood to be held in any kind of container. And we've heard the stories over the years. I don't know how many times I've heard children dying uh, because the parents would not allow a blood uh, transfusion in that particular case. Uh, then there's the dietary regulations. In, in the big three, uh, Christianity, Judaism, uh, and Islam all have certain dietary regulations. Um, one time we had a Jewish family over. And uh, again, we're just dumb Gentiles. And uh, so we made for them uh, lasagna and... Uh, the fellow that was, was there, Herb Rosenberg, and they're just beautiful people, beautiful family. Uh, he's eating it. He says, this is so good. What's in it? <laughs> well, that was the end of the meal, okay? He found that there was pork in the uh, lasagna, and, uh, uh, you know, he, even though he wasn't orthodox, he had that background, that dietary background that, uh, that was anathema to him to eat any kind of a pork. Uh, also, too, within Christianity, there's a denomination, the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, they have a pretty strict regimentation on you know, dietary things and that sort of thing. And, um, and of course, you know, the, uh, the um, uh, Muslim people, they do as well. Uh, also, too, uh, we have uh, in Christianity, we have uh, in, in many religions a dress code. Uh, look at look at how within Christianity the priest you got priests you have nuns, all that and sometimes in our churches um, I've been stared down. Uh, I remember in a church where I walked in and I wasn't I didn't have the the uniform of the day on, and so I had people just sort of look me up and down and I uh, translated that I was simply uh, you know uh, not dressed according to the code, and uh, that's why I you know that's why I love the freedom you know that we can dress any way we want. Um, uh, you know, I think we should be modest, of course. Uh, but, you know, there'll be some folks that'll come in in a suit, and then there'll be somebody come in and, you know, cut off jeans and, and a T-shirt and so forth, and that's fine. Uh, I think it should be like that. I don't think there should be a regimented kind of code. Uh, and, and again, if, you know, we may have our personal code, and that's fine. Uh, and as long as we don't mandate that for other people. I think when the church begins to mandate things and enforce things like that, it becomes rather rigid and legalistic. Um, you know, you're not measuring up because maybe you're not dressed in a certain way or you don't, you don't hold to the dietary code. Another thing is celibacy. We see what that's done to the Catholic Church. Uh, now, a person may be celibate. Paul was celibate in his life. Uh, and that's fine, but you, need it, you, need to, you can't mandate that. And look at the problems that is brought to the Catholic Church. Um, every archdiocese around the country, you know, you got your stories. Uh, when you try to basically uh, force people, um, you know, to, uh, to, you know, who have a healthy sexual desire to not have any sex life at all. And we see, you know, what happens is when we kind of, we, we, we attempt to do this kind of things. So again here, you know, perhaps celibacy is okay. And, 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 you know, I think the Bible teaches us you have to have a gift for that. 
you have to have an ability, you know, to live, you know, without being lonely. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that, uh, again, Paul was one. Uh, God gifted him, enabled him to do what he did in his travels and his ministry and all that sort of thing. And I've met a few people over the years that just have that gift uh, that they don't need somebody or they don't want somebody. They're not, uh, you know, they're not just simply uh, you know, controlled by that desire. I can remember you know, just as a young guy getting out of high school and going into service and all that. And, and in the back of my mind, it's like, I, I, I need somebody. <laughs> I need to be married. I, I, you know, I want to ha have a family life and that sort of thing. And, uh, and that's fine. Uh, and that's a good thing to do. But uh, some people don't need that. And God will gift them uh, in that ability to do that. Now, also, too, I think, you know, taking old Sabbath day observances and regulation and enforcing them in the New Testament is a wrong thing. Uh, some denominations do that. Some are all kind of worked up about what day it is, what day it has to be, you know, Saturday or Sunday. We follow Sunday because uh, it's a New Testament example. Uh, some people, um, you know, have a burr under their saddle. They feel it has to be Saturday because that's, you know, according to the original Sabbath and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unnecessary. Um, you know, I think we should worship the Lord every day, okay? And, uh, but I think, you know, Paul said, you know, let no man judge you regarding a Sabbath. Um, so we're not under some Sabbath regulation, uh, some duty. And I, I grew up, you know, in, within Catholicism where it was required. It was required. If you didn't, if you didn't go to Mass on Sunday, because I was in parochial school, and, um, and I was taught, you know, the Baltimore Catechism and so forth, and I was taught that if you didn't go to Mass, it was considered a mortal sin. Uh, and that was a sin that can send you to hell, okay? The venials are, the, uh, how many former Catholics? Maybe some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about here. Um, and then, you know, the, ven the venial sin was a lesser sin kind of a thing. But again, for not going to Mass, you, you know, you could go to hell uh, under that particular teaching. And how unfortunate it was because uh, God wants us to come and worship Him with freedom and joy and a blessing, not because we're forced in a sense that we have to, to do that. Um, I remember listening to uh, John MacArthur, and uh, he came from a, a Sabbatarian background. And um, uh, he said that when he was a little boy, his father was an evangelist for Moody Bible, um, but very rigid. And uh, he said that when I was a little boy, I, just, I was dressed up every Sunday like little Lord Fauntleroy. And he said, we couldn't do anything. We couldn't do anything on Sunday. We couldn't even read the funnies, couldn't read the comics. But he said, what we could do is eat. And boy, did we eat. <laughs> and of course, that's how the flesh is, right? If I can't do one thing, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this other thing, you know, to the max, you know, type of thing. So, um, and then also, too, what I didn't realize in this research that, that you know, there are certain religious groups, uh, for the most part, out of Christianity and, and um, so forth, that have all these weird and strange sexual practices that are allowed um, some of them are ritualistic kinds of things that they allow within their religious groups. But here's the problem. 
no matter what the intention may be, because the intention oftentimes may seem good. It may sound rational or practical when it comes to man-made rules. But no matter what that intention may be, when it comes to man-made rules, that ultimately they hurt people and turn people against the Lord. There are so many people, I think, that have grown up in maybe ascetic, rigid, legalistic, religious circles. And when those kids get out of the house, they never want anything to do with God because what they experienced in their home was so oppressive that that was, their, that was their only understanding of really what God requires or who God is. And I think it's sad. You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. And, and I think, unfortunately, now we can understand that in the cults and those things outside of Christianity. But we have the truth. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. And again, you can't, you, you come to realize whether it's within the church or even trying to evangelize people, you can't force it. You can't mandate it. You can't force it onto people. And whenever that's happened, it's left such a negative impression, you know, in the lives of those that all of a sudden that, 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 again, and it shows us too how, in a sense, you know, how we handle people, how we, how we interact with people and all that, um, how we communicate who Jesus is through our life, that we're representing him. We're representing him. And, and I think that our lives should be such you know, filled with joy and, 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 and freedom and blessing that when people, in a sense, interf interface with us, that they're drawn to the Lord in a magnetic kind of way. Not because maybe, and sometimes the church has used threat, you know, Christians have used threatenings <laughs> to try to get people saved. Or threatenings to try to keep them from doing certain things. And you come to find out, it does, simply doesn't work. And it's not easy always being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, and when, when we see people making wrong decisions, you know, to, to pray for them. To pray and to ask the Lord to you know, somehow, you know, intervene in their lives. Somehow interfere, Lord. We just cannot, we cannot force spirituality on people. But I think in a sense our lives can be an advertisement of the joy of the Lord, of the, the blessing of Christ, the beautiful freedom, you know, that we have, that in a sense it becomes attractive, it becomes magnetic. And, and people begin, hey, where, where, you know, I hear you read the Bible, or, you know, where do you go to church? Or, or tell me about this Jesus of yours. Now he, Jesus, takes them back to the Bible. He always does that. He always takes them back to the Bible, to the Scriptures. And he's going to share a story in the life of David from 1 Samuel 21. And it's kind of an interesting thing here as Jesus is wanting to interpret to them you know, the right understanding of how, you know, how, you know, how, what to do on the Sabbath or what not to do. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? 
he and those that were with him, and how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the holy showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. So David here is running for his life. You know, he's running from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. Obviously, his men are hungry. Uh, so he goes there basically uh, uh, to the house of God. And, uh, and the, only, the only thing available is the, is the showbread. And there were, there were, there were 12 loaves there uh, representing all the 12 tribes. And so the priest basically gives it to David and to his men to eat. Uh, the priest not even knowing uh, David was hiding the fact that he was running from Saul. And, of course, uh, we know the story. The story worked out that that priest actually paid with his life uh, for, you know, for helping David, for ministering to David, and yet he didn't really know exactly that David was running from Saul. But the point is simply this, the Lord did not punish David. Took the holy bread, the showbread. It was only lawful for the priest to eat that. I wanted to write something down because sometimes when you read these things, there's a little flag that goes up. And I don't know if you've ever, how much you've read this before in, in, in this story in the Gospels. But so often, the way my mind goes, a little flag comes up. I, this little flag, okay. Because w- there's a difference here. And, and sometimes, um, you know, we, w- we want to maybe argue a certain point here. And what we have here is the man-made laws, man-made laws, rules of the Pharisees that Jesus is deliberately breaking. But that's over against the fact, then that's different because David broke a priestly regulation in eating the bread. Yet we find Jesus here qualifying this as acceptable under difficult circumstances. And as I was thinking about this, trying to reconcile it, trying to figure it out, uh, what the, you know, because there's a difference here. Jesus is breaking man-made tradition, man-made rules. David, over here, he broke a scriptural regulation. Wouldn't you say there's a little difference there? So how do you reconcile those two? Because God didn't punish David for it. And and, and Jesus is not, in a sense, teaching us (laughs) to basically um, sin against the Bible. But here's the deal. I think it comes under the heading of one of those many Old Testament things that the Bible tells us the Lord overlooked. Acts 17.30. Maybe maybe in your translation it might be a little different. Paul talks about, I believe he's on Mars Hill, and he talks about the things that God winked at. In other words, the things that God overlooked overlooked aren't you thankful that there are many things in your life and my life you know sometimes as parents we can be so critical of our kids can't we you call them on the carpet for every little thing they do I am so thankful for the marvelous grace of our heavenly father I'm thankful he hasn't spanked me for everything I deserve to be spanked for. Now, that doesn't in any any kind of way encourage wrongdoing. 
But it just, again, it's a reminder of his marvelous grace and his mercy. Aren't you thankful when you came to Jesus Christ that you didn't have to enumerate every sin you ever committed? My goodness. I had committed so many, I couldn't remember them all. All I said was this, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> Lord, cleanse me. Wash him away, Lord. And he so wonderfully did. He's such a gracious and incredible, awesome, loving God and Father. Here's the point of verses 25 and 26, what Jesus says. Real human need takes precedence over rules. David had a need. Jesus' men had a need. They were hungry. You know, rules and regulations have their place, okay? We, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? It doesn't mean we just throw out every rule and regulation. They have their place. But it's important to realize that genuine human need trump rules. Sometimes the rules just have to be ignored. I was reading an interesting little story about Johnny Erickson Tata. And she was going to this big prayer convocation convention kind of a thing. And two ladies come into this, it's a big prayer room, and there's ushers at the door. They come in, and they have their seeing eye dogs with them. And one of the ushers, the head usher, comes up to, to, to Johnny and says, we can't have that. That's just simply not right. That may be grieving the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, somebody spent a half an hour with this usher. Finally, he gave in. But sometimes rules can be, they're man-made rules. Sometimes traditions can be like that. Now, we, all, we, um, we don't throw out every tradition, do we? But sometimes traditions can be so dumb and so stupid. And I think sometimes, like Jesus here is challenging their tradition, he may challenge ours. He may challenge, and it's like, yeah, we may have traditions even as a group, but I'll tell you what, every one of, last one of us, we have our own personal rules and personal regulations and personal traditions, don't we? And sometimes we find we may have to face off with Jesus because he's challenging those things. You know that the Pharisees and the religious people today would never, never touch a, touch a leper. They'd never touch a leper. But oh, how he blew their mind when he came along and he reached out to touch the untouchable, to touch the leper. You know, sometimes God brings people into our lives. And they may be moral lepers. People to us would be maybe untouchable. 
And, and he wants to see how we're going to respond to those people. I can remember one time years ago, I was in this little YMCA, this little gym, when I lived down in Ontario County. Some guy would come in all the time. And this guy was so stinky. He stunk up the whole gym. And like everybody in this gym was mad at him, including me. And sometimes, you know, there are people, you know, that, that, that touch our life or the fringe of our life. And, and we would not touch them. We would not have anything to do with them. I remember this guy, I didn't want to be in his airspace. And I, I really do believe that the Lord brings these situations into our life to challenge us. See how we're going to respond because, sorry, but that's, that's against my personal rules, you know, kind of a thing. And maybe we need to change some of our rules. I find that... God is continually, constantly, through my whole life, challenging me to think differently. Because a lot of times we think in the box. You know, our neat little box, our neat little lives. And Jesus is always thinking outside the box. He, he's so incredibly creative. And even though we may not even ever think this, but sometimes we could just become sort of religious, kind of pharisaical. Now, here's what Jesus says to them in verse 27, 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath, the purpose of it was to rest, to be restored, to enjoy. Not to be so encumbered with rules that when the Sabbath came, everything, oh my goodness, it's here again, the Sabbath. We can't do anything. And I do think in a sense, I do think in a sense, we do need a personal Sabbath. We need times of rest. Especially in this day and age, man. We, we got so much distraction, so much busyness in our life. I think we need to have days of Sabbath, in a sense, days of rest and restoration and joy. And, and basically, the Sabbath was, hey, you got a day off. That's what God was saying. You got a day off. Spend some time with me. You know, fellowship with me. I, I can remember growing up in Pennsylvania as a kid, I don't know about New York, but did you have blue laws here? We had blue laws back in the 50s and 60s. And I can remember so many, so many times on a Sunday, there was nothing to do. Everything was closed. And you just had to go to the park and rest. I can remember we used to go up to Washington's Crossing State Park and different places. And it was just like, there's no place to go, so let's just rest. And I think, you know what, sometimes you need to do that. And then sometimes if we're not doing that, the Lord sometimes maybe just grabs us and just puts us down. 
And he makes us to sit like Psalm 23 in green pastures. He makes us to sit by the still waters. You know, I'll tell you what, the busyness, the craziness of this life will burn you out. And you lose your joy. And you're just sort of, you know, you're like, you're, you're like that horse that's got the blinders on. You just kind of, you keep going, you keep going. We need rest. Sabbath wasn't made for, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord. So here's the Lord. Here's the one who created the Sabbath. And he's trying to talk to these guys, trying to just simply make sense to them. That here's, the, here's rest. This is one of the basics of life. And they turned it into this big religious brouhaha. Now, in chapter 3, <clears throat> Ever since it's because of the Sabbath, he is under incredible close scrutiny. And it's because he broke the rules. And he would pay for that. Uh, you know, anytime sometimes you break the traditions or you um, don't go along with the tradition, like, like today, political correctness. It's become a tradition, doesn't it? And if you disagree with the political correctness of the day, you're going to pay a price. They're going to call you this or they're going to call you that. Uh, or ostracize you in some, you know, kind of way. You know, it's like, you know, the, the world sometimes looks at us and our traditions. They have their traditions. They, they have their belief systems. They have all their ideas uh, as well. So Jesus here, he, bro he breaks the religious rules of the day. He's going to pay for it because they're going to put him on a cross. But the thing I like about Jesus, you know what? He's fearless. What, what's it, David, what did David say in Psalm 56? Uh, you know, I trust in the Lord God. You know, what can man do unto me? What can man do unto me? So he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, again, it's fascinating to me also to how much his enemies knew about, and they understood him, because why? They were scrutinizing him. They were studying him. They were always, always looking at him. But not like you and I. You know, we look at the Lord uh, because we want to be like him. That's why we study. That's why we're studying the Gospels. But again, they were looking at him to find fault. They were looking at him to just simply criticize. And how sad, how sad, because these are the guys who had the Bible. These were the religious experts of the day. And here God is in their midst, and they don't even know it. Isn't that sad? It's sad that you know, when, when the Lord is wanting to reveal, and that's what he's trying to do. He is simply trying to reveal who he is. And some of them, there's there some Pharisees, they got it. You know, you got Nicodemus, you got Joseph, everything, and there are others as well, they got it. But, but by and large, here they are. And, and as we, we're, we, we learned there in verse 6, they're plotting to kill him. Those who thought, they thought, <laughs> they're representing him. Now, they knew this about him, that he was compassionate. He's merciful. Because as soon as he walks in, they're, they're little, they're, they made the connection between, here he is, the man with the withered hand. <laughs> they, they knew that much that he's going to heal them. He's going to heal this guy. We know it, you know, type of things. And I love Jesus here because it's deliberate. 
It's absolutely deliberate. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him. On the Sabbath day, and here's the reason, here's the motive, that they might accuse him. What I love about Jesus here is, you know what, he, he, he's the creator. He's God. Yeah, he's wearing sandals. He has a robe on. <laughs> he has a body. But behind those eyes is God. He sees a deformity. And, of course, in his mind, that's abnormal. This is what sin has done as it, as it breeds disease and, and eventually death. He sees a deformity here. He sees a needy person. But you know what? It's interesting when you contrast Jesus with them. All they see here is rules being broken. And again, that's the mindset of the critical person. Critical people have no, have, don't, these guys don't have an ounce of compassion. And Jesus sees a needy life. I think the other factor here too is when you look at this. It is selfishness refuses to see the needs in other people. When somebody's self-possessed, all they can think about is their needs. Isn't it wonderful to have the Holy Spirit in our life? Have a compassion for people esteem the needs of others. There's sometimes, and it's the Holy Spirit, it ain't me. There's sometimes that I am just taken up with the need of somebody, somebody else beside myself. And, and it's a witness to me because I know how selfish I can be. But, but it's a wonderful thing to have this concern, this love, that this compassion, you know, for other people. And we know how detrimental it is but, you know, when we lavish all that kind of stuff upon ourselves, it just kind of, it just, you know, it, it feeds a, a self-pity. And, and it feeds something that could never, ever be satisfied. But to see the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, it, in, our, in our lives, and, and, you know, when God begins to just sort of work in our hearts in that kind of way, there's just this desire to reach out. You know, when God's at work within us, you just want to do something about it. You just feel so compelled. You know, that's what it said about Paul in Corinthians, he said, the, the love of Christ compels me. And that's going to happen for you and I. The, the love of God is going to be in our heart. In our and again, it's, you know, it's not like we get this big reservoir of love and, you know, we're just going to um, express it to everybody kind of a thing. No, I think oftentimes that the Holy Spirit, because it tells us over in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the Holy Spirit will, and I, I believe in a selective kind of a way, will give us love toward a person, toward a situation. Because he wants to minister to that. And, 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 and he doesn't tell us that, but just we just, we feel it. We're aware of it. And what I love about the Bible is, is God's questions are always loaded with revelation. Anytime you see a God, and again, what is interesting about his questions is he knows everything. He's all-knowing. And he could just shout an order. But he oftentimes asks a question to reveal an insight and to have us think about it and come to a realization. 
But a person has to receive that, that insight. You have to be willing. And he said to the man who had a withered hand, step forward. But then he said to them, so here he's dealing with this man right in front of him, very deliberate kind of a thing. He's going to heal this man. But he wants to also to these religious guys that are so bound up with their righteous rules and regulations. He wants them to think about it. He wants to set them free. Yeah, this guy had a withered hand, but they had a withered heart. Their life was withered. Because we're told in the text that they had such hardness in their hearts. <laughs> Sometimes I've seen religious people be really mean-spirited. In the name of religion. In the name of religion. So he tells the guy to step forward. He says to them, though, verse 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And again, what he's trying to bring, it, bring out here is the real intention of the real purpose of the Sabbath law, to do good, to save life, or is it to injure people? Well, the answer is obvious. We're told they kept silent. Their silence was validation for the truth that he spoke. Because when people think they've got a better answer, man, a boom, it comes right out, right? They were silent. I don't know. I think when Jesus spoke, there was, some, there was, just, just, uh, there was just an authority about it. And the, these, these were brilliant people. These were guys that, that oftentimes studied the Mosaic law, their whole life. Their whole life was given over to it. That's why they were Pharisees. But here God was speaking. And again, there is something powerful, there's something authoritative. Because when God speaks, it goes into the spirit. It goes into the heart of a person. And there may be times, yes, we re, we, that happens for us oftentimes, doesn't it? God speaks into, into our life. But there may be also times when God uses you and uses me to say those words. And he gives them an authority to, to speak into someone's life. I one time asked somebody, when did you get saved? I didn't ask it like that. But that just was common conversation. Well, that person wasn't saved. They went home that night and got saved. And I had no idea. I thought they were saved because they came to the Bible study with their saved brother. And Steve Sane, missionary in London. I just asked him that question. And he lied to me and went home and just wrestled with God all night long under conviction and gave his heart to Jesus. And perhaps you maybe have a story like that as well. Because the Holy Spirit in you and me can take the truth of the word of God 
and speak it into someone's darkness. And there's something about the Word of God has such authority that if, that if you have the wrong idea, you're silent. <laughs> but if your heart's open, it's a lifeline. It's a life preserver. It's like the man who brought his demon-possessed child to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, and Jesus said to him, you know, as, as he came hopefully for healing, he said, only believe, because he saw the man's unbelief. But the man had an open heart, and he said, help thou my unbelief. <laughs> and he did. He did. Well, here's a moment of truth in verse 5. And here the Lord of glory wants to work. Change a life. Set a man free. But he has religious men here hindering, opposing him. Standing in the way. And unfortunately, he had to look at them with anger. That's a portrait of, I think, of Jesus we... we they often, excuse me, ignore. He was angry. Angry at their self-righteousness, their pride. And, and here they're, 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 they're hard. You can see, it's interesting, isn't what you can see on a person's face? You so often can see on a person's face what's in their heart, what's in their life. And he sees just a hard heart, and here they're probably, you know, uh, scrutinizing him, and, and they're bugged and bothered, and, and no sooner than this happens, they're going to go out, we're going to kill that guy. Huh. It's sad what unbelief will do. Religious, self-righteous, and murderous at the same time. The thing about Jesus, he can either bring the worst out in somebody or the best. Because unbelief and, and darkness in the heart can bring out the worst in a person. When the truth and the light of God reach into a person's life, He looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Then he looks at the man. He says, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. So angry at his enemies here. They were his enemies, irrespective of their robes. But he is tender and gracious toward those who need him. He can be both. You know, when we get angry, it's kind of hard to, we take, uh, you know, a lot of time to cool down, right? You get all worked up, you get angry. But he can be perfectly angry and can, under control and be perfectly tender and gracious and kind. 
to those who need him, to those who want him. What I love about Jesus is that when we open our lives to him, he knows what we need. I think sometimes our lives can be withered in different ways. But if we're willing, if we're open for him to to touch us, to change us, to do that work of healing, whatever it is, that he'll do that. I'm going to close in prayer. And as we do, I want to have a word of prayer with you. And if you need prayer this morning, whatever that need may be, it could be for healing. It could be perhaps something we touched upon today. You want to ask the Lord to reach down and touch maybe a situation in your life. If you have a need for prayer this morning, please stand up. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you this morning. We thank you for grace. We thank you that you're kind and merciful. You said, all that come unto you, you will no wise cast out. And Father, we come this morning needy, Lord, humbly, thanking you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. And Lord, perhaps, too, if there's some area in our life, Lord, maybe some rule, some personal tradition we have that could be limiting you. Lord, we want to be instruments in your hands. Lord, perhaps there have been times where maybe you've challenged us, Lord, to represent you to some moral leper in our world and maybe we've looked at the situation and recoiled. Lord, help us, I pray. Give us a holy boldness. Lord, like Paul, give us that love that would compel and impel us from within. Lord, you've called us. Lord, with all of our failures and inadequacies, you've called us to represent you. What an amazing, incredible thing. And so, Lord, we look to you this morning, and I pray for all these, Lord, your people. For each one, Lord, that stood. And we're thankful, Lord, you, you look on the heart. You know the heart. You know the issues that we deal with. We can hide nothing from you, Lord. 
And how I pray that you'd minister accordingly. Lord, I pray, Father, for someone here this morning that may need healing. Lord, we now reach out by faith, Lord, to touch the hem of your garment. We ask you to minister, Lord. We are so thankful for the freedom, the blessed, glorious freedom that you've delivered us, Lord, from so many wrong ideas, concepts, philosophies, rules, and regulations. And you've brought us into this glorious liberty as the children of God. For that, thank you. Oh, God, bless these, your people, Lord, as we go. And because we've spent time with you this morning, may that be recognized in the lives of others about us. For, Lord, we thank you and give you the glory for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.